Mac Power Users, Episode 150, Listener Workflows. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. I've missed you, Katie Floyd. I know. it's It's been a while since we've been doing this, so uh, yeah. it feels like it's been a lot longer than it really has been. And well, you went on your vacation, so before we had the podcast a for like two weeks, we were cranking episodes out, like, what was it, every two days, it felt like? Something like that. And now we haven't done it for two or three weeks, so I'm a little rusty. i got to break the rust off. So we should know these things because we've been doing 150 of these Mac Power User episodes here. I think we looked back and May 5th, 2003. No, 2007. No, 2000 and something was our first 2009. episode. 2009. 2009. I just looked this up. <laughs> Over four years, you and it I have been podcasting like so together. No. Uh, it feels like it's been no time at all. What, what are really you talking does. about? It really does. And the secret that you and I were letting the chat room in is we actually did a show before show one, and it was so bad that we wouldn't release it. Yeah, well, you recorded a two-hour show, and then we did the outro and said goodbye to each other. And then as soon as we pushed the red button to stop recording, I don't know if it was you or me that said, I think it was like two days later. Yeah. <laughs> I think we were quiet for for like two days and just stewing on it. And then before we released it, I don't know who said who to what, but one of us said, what do you think about maybe re-recording that? And the other one said, oh, yes, please. Yeah, I, I think I said it, but before I finished the sentence, you were agreeing with me. But anyway, yeah. we we got a little better at it, I'd like to hope. And now we've done 150 shows and... Uh, we're here doing a live show. We've got the uh, chat room full of people. Thanks, everybody, for coming in to listen to the show live. And more importantly, we're going back to a listener workflow show. We did that at episode 100, and I suspect we'll be doing it again at episode 200. And I've always admired our listeners. I get emails from them all the time and, and meet some of them in person. And there are so many of them are just smarter than me. It makes me crazy, you know. But they, they have great workflow ideas. And we thought, you know... Somebody might have a really good idea. It doesn't really justify a whole show, but at the same time, it's something we want to share. So we picked seven of our listeners out of many that submitted, and uh, we're going to have each one on for a little bit of time so you get to know them and and learn a cool tip from them. Yeah. And we do, before we get started, need to say a big thank you to George Starcher, our call screener extraordinaire, who without him, this show would not be possible. Um, He's got a very convoluted Skype setup here where everybody is queued up, ready to go, and George is going to be tossing us the calls, and we'll go from there. So, George, I think we're ready for Tom when you are. So, we've got Tom Psycho, and you did tell me that was how you pronounced your name, because I would have been afraid to pronounce it like that. Yeah, people are afraid of my last name. It's it's fine. (laughs) Uh, Tom, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, I am the uh, vice president of sales for an electrical manufacturing company called Lex Products. We build uh, products that are used in the industrial, entertainment, and military markets. Um, I'm responsible for uh, several salespeople that work around the country. And one of the things that I do quite a bit 
um, is go into trade shows, various types of trade shows around the country. Um, one of the problems that I've had for a long time at these trade shows, especially some of the smaller trade shows that don't have formal, you know, lead retrieval where you, know, you wear a badge around your neck and then there's a little scanner that you can, you can scan it. People are relying on people carrying around business cards and some people don't have any or they run out of, uh, run out of cards. So we, we came up with this idea of how to capture people's contact information while we're standing on the floor. And obviously we could sit there copying stuff down, but paper gets lost or you can't read handwriting or whatnot. So uh, text expander. I, I was actually listening to the um, to the iOS automation show, and I, I came up with this this idea of of using text expander and drafts um, to be able to capture this information. So uh, basically, yeah, really the, like the yeah. only thing you t- you take is an iPhone or an iPad Mini or something like that, and that's what you walk around with and collect all your leads from. Exactly. In fact, we we actually we started doing it with an iPad, and what we discovered was it worked just as good on the iPhone. And, you know, we always have the iPhones in our pockets. doesn't matter if we're standing at the trade show booth or having lunch in the convention center or whatnot. So we now just do it on the iPhones, and it works just as well. Yeah, so walk us through. Yeah, walk us through. So there's a text expander snippet that we came up with that basically utilizes the fill-in forms for different data points that we want to collect. And we have one that we use often, but then we can modify it for a particular show if, if there's specific data that we want to capture. But... The sexy part about this is, I hand, when I, as soon as I fire the text expander snippet in drafts, which drafts pulls up as soon as you hit the, the, uh, the home key icon, it's up and running. Three letters. I've got my text expander shortcut open. There's the forms. I hand the phone to whoever I'm standing there with, my, my customer, my prospect. They then take it, fill in their information, and everyone's used to this because everyone else has iPhones or, or other you know, phones like this. They pop in their information, they hand it back to me, and then I make some notes on what we talked about. I save it, boom, I'm done. And now it's, it syncs up with the Symperium engine of, of drafts, so I can go back to it later and process it, either into OmniFocus or cold storage into Evernote or whatnot. Now, so, I guess it doesn't Tom- really matter, but... Before the text expander touch had the fill-in snippet fields, um, you, you, I guess you would just populate those as blanks, and then people would go back up and touch, okay, name, type in their name, phone, type in their phone, and you just kind of have the template set out for them that they'd go back in. But are you actually using the fill-in snippets now? Yeah, we're actually using the fill-in snippets. I'm, I'm a little late to the game here, so when I got to text expander, it already had the fill-in snippets. Yeah, that's that's a recent addition for Text Expander Touch 2.0, and Drafts was one of the very first apps to support it fully with this uh, fill-in snippet. So when you fire off the snippet, it actually leaves Drafts for a minute into Text Expander to do the fill-in. Correct? Right, and which is yeah. not a big which is not a big deal because again, it, as soon as you're done, it shoots it right back into Drafts. Exactly, and so what type of notes do you keep at after you've got the basic information from the customer? So we'll mark down, you know, what we talked about, you know, maybe what their problem is. I'm, I'm very into consultative sales, so I try not to sell on the products. I like to let the customer tell me about what their problems are and, and hope that we can solve them with our products. So a lot of times I'll take notes on specifically, hey, I'm having a problem with this or I'm setting up this or something like that. And I'll kind of write the narrative in there so that later on when I get back to my office, I, I can process this and start to put their problem against our products. You know what I would add to that is I would put an I would put an optional selection snippet as well where you could have like 
maybe, you know, five or ten common customer notes that you do repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And after you get it back from the client, you fire off a different snippet. It goes back to Text Expander. You can select the ones that apply, mm-hmm. and then it then it puts them right in the note as well. I mean, that's just an yeah. idea. Well, we've kind of already done that because we've added some snippets of common phrases that we use a lot. Like one of our products is Powerhouse. So instead of Powerhouse, we just type PHH, and it, it already pulls in Powerhouse nicely formatted and everything you know is ready to go. So we've done a little bit of that, and we've only been using this for maybe maybe three months so it, th- there's there's a whole lot of room left to grow in this and it's such a cool idea from from our our allies and our, our the other people in the industry several people have come to us saying hey can can you show us how to do that because we like that too so yes yeah, because you're a mac power user of course walk walk me through this and and let's pick like a simplified workflow let's say you go to a, a a trade show or a conference or something, and you come back with five contacts. And mm-hmm. I know it'd be more than that, but let's just keep sure. it simple. So you, at the end of the day, you're back in your hotel room or back at your office. What do you have? You've input those five contacts in. Where is that information now? And then what are the next steps? Well, when you get back, it's, it's loaded up into drafts, basically. So I'll usually pull out my iPad, and I have a couple different iPads. I have a mini, I have a full size, depending on which, whichever one I want to work on. I'll pull that out, I'll go into drafts, I'll, I'll click on the history, and it loads up the history of everything that's synced up to drafts. And what I'll do is I'll start pulling them out, and as soon as I take action on it, I put a processed line right at the top of it. So then it resyncs, so I know that I've done something with it. Depending on what I have to do with it, if I have to take further action, I'll send it to OmniFocus as a task. If I have to send this to one of my other sales reps, I'll email it out. Um, there's a variety of different tasks that go from, from very broad you know, follow-up emails to very, very complex, you know, we need to go schedule another site visit or do a quote or something like that. Um, but that, that workflow kind of varies on, on the data that, that's required based on the conversation we had at the trade show. So all the notes really stay in drafts. They don't get they do. synced to something else like Simple Note or NVAlt or anything like that. No, we we keep them in drafts. I mean, I guess there, there's probably better ways to do this. Uh, again, we're kind of at the in the infancy of it, but right now we're using drafts and we're using Evernote for cold storage. So once it's been processed, it goes out to Evernote. We have a separate notebook that we all share um, that is broken out in in notebook stacks by each individual trade show. And then two years from now, theoretically, I can go back and see every single person that I talked to at this trade show. Wow. That's really clever, Tom. Thanks, David. Just out of curiosity, how would you have done this before? Well, we, our company does not use a formal CRM system. It's actually, uh, CRM is contacts, um, contact management system. We don't actually use one of these. So uh, how, how would we do this before? We would be taking notes down on paper and then stuffing them inside of a folder and hoping that that folder made it back to the office without anything falling apart and then hoping that you could read everybody's handwriting. Um, and then we'd be sitting around the office kind of divvying these things up and saying, okay, you take this, you take this. Um, and then if we really got you know, special, if we wanted to make this thing searchable later, we'd throw it in a file cabinet and pull it out two years later. So this is better. Significantly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how has it been getting your coworkers on board with this? They were, they were a little, um, they, were, they were slow to adopt it at first, but once they understood that it was something that, that, uh, that, that would really benefit them, they hopped on it, and, and now everybody's, everybody's going with the flow. Very cool. And 
can you can you tell any any kind of um, increase in sales or anything, or is it too soon to tell just because your follow up on things faster or more effectively? You know, it's increased the amount of activity that we have from trade shows. Uh, you know, I, I, we kind of when I was when I was preparing the outline for this, I kind of went through and talked to some of the guys, and we figured that it's reduced the amount of time in processing leads at the end of the show by about thirty percent, and it's really increased the amount of uh, after show conversation that we have with people. Because I think a lot of times people go to trade shows, they talk to somebody and things get forgotten because uh, either it's not a, you know, a super huge lead, but you know, I have people that I was talking to at a trade show last month who I'm still emailing every day talking about various things that they have going on. And and that's already contributing to sales for our company. Very cool. Well, I mean, just getting more efficient at the stuff has got to lead, you know, to more sales because you've got it together where before you really didn't. I think efficiency in sales is is key. Um, I, you know, I've been selling for this company now for about eight years, and I can tell you, over the eight years that I've been here, we've gone from very a very inefficient workflow in all of our workflows to increasing efficiency across the company. I couldn't have done it without. Mac power users because this was this was something that I specifically pulled. I was sitting in a hotel listening to the podcast. It's like two o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, okay, this is exactly what I need to do. Boom, 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 and it's done. Wow. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's not that hard to do this stuff. I mean, uh, people who are not programmers can make it happen. As I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, now we need to get Tom hooked up with if this then that because I can see some some potential there too. But maybe that's that's for show two hundred. Well, I just started using If This Than That about a week ago when I downloaded the iPhone app, and I, uh, I've actually I'm starting to see If Then If This Than That as like the hazel now for my iPhone. But that's another story. Yeah, I think that's you, probably you true. You said it. Well, Tom, where can people? Have you written this up anywhere? Where can people find out more or follow you? Or is there a place where you want to send people? Or I'm a I'm a lazy blogger. I have a website that I've just recently started up at tompsycho t o m s i k o dot com, um, and I will be putting this up um, as a as a blog post eventually. Uh, I'm trying to to get more into blogging and, and doing more of this type of stuff. But you can also find me at Twitter at t c s i k o. Sounds good. Thanks, Tom. Put links to that in the show notes. Great. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. you guys. You guys helped me so much, and I can't thank you enough. All right. All right. So, so far, this is working. Um, our next workflow guest up is Ian. So, Ian, heads up. Let's, let's see if I can get you in here. Hey, Ian. Oh. Welcome to the show. Hello. How's it going? We're going great. A little rocky start, but I, I think we're on a roll now. Awesome. Hey, hey Ian. How are you doing? Hi, David. Good. How are you doing? Yeah, Katie, Ian, and I met uh, at really? the Five by Five meetup up in Santa Monica a couple months ago. Right. Very yeah. cool. You guys We're have a lot of fun on the West Coast. That's yeah, right. Of Orange, course, we do. Orange County guys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're Orange County as well. That's too. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, Ian, Ian, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I was a uh, sixth grade elementary school teacher, and I worked specifically with kids who had been identified as gifted. Uh, and so gifted students are, uh, they're not just kids who are good at school, but they might be kids who think like really outside the box and they pick things up really quickly uh, and they get bored and like underperform in typical classrooms. So we would try to build lessons and stuff that would try to meet their needs and challenge them. Um, I, I always think of Merlin Mann as being like a grown up gifted kid, you know, really thinking outside <laughs> the box and yeah. Uh, could be trouble in the classroom and that really organized kind of a situation. 
Um, so I started doing a website where I wrote about my lesson ideas and um, uh, from that people started reading it and I got opportunities to go speak at different conferences and school districts. So now uh, I've been out of the classroom for a year and I travel around uh, usually a couple times a month and run, uh, they're usually about six hour workshops with teachers who work with uh, gifted students. So is, is this kind of your, your full-time gig now? Are you still doing stuff in the classroom at all? Or? Uh, it's becoming my full-time gig. I also run um, a website for a math curriculum company. But um, yeah, more and more I'm just doing this like uh, education consulting as my full-time job. Wow. Well, yeah. And so the problem you have is you've got a lot of slides and you don't always give the same presentation and you were looking for ways to organize it. And I thought the solution you had was pretty clever. Yeah. So these, uh, I use Keynote for my presentations. Um, and because they're, they're up to six hours long, uh, the decks would be five or 600 slides. So, um, part of it was just a hassle of like saving these giant files. My, my MacBook Air would start to choke a little bit when I was saving them, and um, but I would get too involved in like the details of these slides. Um, so I knew that you guys had done a show on Scrivener, so um, that became the tool that I was using to organize these long presentations. So, so how did you do that? Yeah, so Scrivener's, uh, you know, it's designed to be like a writing tool, um, a planning and organizing and research tool um, for writing like long books. Um, so it's really good at structuring. Um, so I started using it as kind of a giant outliner uh, because it's, it's really good at the, the big picture because you can store things as, uh, you know, they look like note cards. But then yeah. you can also drill into those note cards and have a full you know, text document as well. So I could kind of outline it and then go in and add more of like the script of like what I was going to say in each section. Um, and then that kept me from, you know, getting distracted by fiddling around with the fonts and transitions with the keynote slides. Yeah, I've been there, brother. I've been there. <laughs> so <laughs> how, how do you even start to manage? I mean, most of the presentations that I give at most are an hour, maybe an hour and a half. How, how do you even start to manage organizing and outlining, giving a six to eight hour presentation? Because I know some of these, when you're, when you're getting continuing education credits, you've got to hit specific targets for your audience so that they'll get credit for something. And that's with Scrivener, but do you start in Scrivener or do you start with something else and then move into Scrivener? Um, I've, I've been starting in Scrivener now and I, I kind of think of the day as six um, s separate hours. So each hour is kind of like a plot point, you know, if you're thinking of it like a story. So that's really what Scrivener helped me with was to think of the whole day as, as the story. So I would start with like six documents and each one represents an hour and kind of a topic that I want to go in into that hour. And then I can build that hour out. How do you keep the audience, you know, happy for six hours? That'd be tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any way to do it really well because <laughs> it's, it's a long time. Um, food. But, yeah, food, that's a good idea. <laughs> um, no, I have the same problem with a, with a jury trial. Um, by the end of the day, they're, you know, they're baked. They, they're not interested in, in listening to anything. Yeah, so I, my slides are all really visual, so I try not, I'm not, try not to put a lot of words on there. So, um, so the visuals are always kind of intriguing. You know, it's not always obvious how they're going to connect. So I think that builds like little, um, little bits of tension throughout the day where they're trying to figure out what is this, how is this image going to connect or the imagery is funny or, you know, unusual in some way. 
Um, and then I always I try to to break it out so that they have time to practice what I'm talking about. So I'll I'll teach it, and then we'll practice together, and then they have a chance to practice the idea in like little groups. So just like how you would run a classroom with kids, they have to and, have a chance. And they just to, to, just to be go ahead to be clear, what you do is so you've got this the Scrivener file, and it's got these modules inside of it that mm-hmm. you've built out for each hour. And then when you give the presentation itself, you do drag the piece, the components out and put it into keynote pages. Is that correct? Yeah. So within Scrivener, there's the, the draft folder where I'm kind of typing a basic idea of the script out. And then there's also the research folder, which is where I can drag all, all the research materials. So I'll put the different standards for the different grade levels because the audience is usually kindergarten through 12th grade teachers. Yeah. So I have to have a lot of material because I didn't teach all those grades. So I can store all yeah. those PDFs um, and then different images and things that I want to use can stay just there in Scrivener. So it's all in one file. And then, yeah, I can drag it straight out of Scrivener into Keynote and start building the slides without having to keep going back to the internet to find them again. Well, Ian, I thought that was a great idea. I, I, it never occurred to me. I, I have a reference Keynotes where I, you know, turn off and turn on pieces, but I've never planned, as much as I've done in Scrivener, I've never planned out a keynote using Scrivener. So I thought we should share that with the audience. And uh, yeah. th- thanks yeah. for doing so. so. So where can people find you? Um, my website is birdseed.com, and that's bird with a Y. And then um, I'm developing a video website, which is birdseed.tv. And yeah, I checked you- out your video website. It's you've got some interesting stuff going on there, like the mapping the Disney parking lot and how many yes. people can the trams carry. That's very cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so they're, those are all based on the presentations I've been giving. They're just broken down into smaller pieces. Yeah, and then you, you know what's funny. Me- Go ahead. Ian, you know, just, just an aside, we have passes and we go to Disneyland all the time. In fact, we should meet there someday. But yeah. The, um, I I do that all the time. I sit there and I watch those trams and I'm calculating how many trams there are, how many people per row, how many rows per tram. Because I yep. just can't sit still. But <laughs> so I now now I understand my my uh, level. Was that like a fifth grade exercise? Yeah, that would be probably yeah, be fifth grade. Yeah. That's where I fit. Now I know. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you guys. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. Well, we are on a roll, but we're gonna. And talk about our first sponsor for this episode, and that is Fujitsu. And recently they came out with a pretty big update to their scanner, especially their IX500 scanning software. And that is their new Mac Daddy scanner that I saw on my desk. And it now has the ability to scan wirelessly to your Mac. And it's always had the ability to scan wirelessly to an iOS device, and they've got an accompanying iPhone app, and that's always been very cool. But they now you can unplug your USB cable, and after you do the firmware and the software update, you can scan wirelessly to your Mac. And okay, I ran the updates, and I thought, that was cool, I can now do this, but why would I need to scan wirelessly? I've got the scan snap on my desk all the time. And then I started thinking about, well, what could I do with the scanner if it wasn't on my desk? And just thinking about my daily workflow, what do I do? I get the mail, I come in the backyard, or come in the back door, I drop my keys down, I sort it through kind of on the on the kitchen table, trash a bunch of stuff, and then I've got a bunch of stuff that I want to scan. And normally what I do is I put this in the bag to, to scan, and it sits on the shelf, and then over the weekend I'll come in and I'll scan it. 
But what if instead of sitting on my desk, I moved that scanner to either my laundry room or my kitchen? And now I can do all that processing just in one step and everything will scan into Evernote, which is the doc management system that I use, and be done. I can open the mail. I can trash what I need to. I can scan what I need to. I can close the scanner and be done with it. So that's on my project list for this weekend is to set up the wireless scanning on my Mac Mini and relocate my ScanSnap to the kitchen. What about you, David? Yeah, we're having negotiations in the Sparks household about that. I'd like to put it down in the kitchen, but, you know, we have coffee makers and other things that people use, so we'll, we'll figure it out. But I really like the idea of wireless scanning. I am, um, uh, you know, it, it does make a lot of sense to scan the stuff before you take it into your office, and then you know it's done. And then you can maybe get other people in the house using it as well. So. Uh, this was a, a really nice upgrade. It is a firmware update, so you're going to have to have your scanner plugged in and run the firmware update. But, you know, it always seemed to me like it should work because they had that wireless in the iX500, and, and now it actually does. So if you've got an iX500, run the update and give it a try yourself. You're going to love it. And uh, this is a big distinction between the iX500 and some of the other scan snaps because now if you're interested in wireless scanning, it's a real deal. So thanks to Fujitsu for updating this scanner, first and foremost, and for their continued support of Mac Power users. They've been a longtime sponsor, and we really appreciate it. We wouldn't be able to do this show without some of our long-term sponsors, and Fujitsu is definitely one of them. So um, thanks for everything, and uh, if you've got that iX500, make sure you get it updated. So, all right, moving on. Let me, let me see if I can get Paul in here. Uh, and this is one that I'm really interested in because Carl's going to be talking to us about his really geeky security setup. And as I was reading the outline for this, I was thinking, boy, I, I could kind of set something up like this. So, Paul, you here? Welcome, Paul. See, see you? Paul, you don't know it, but Katie sent me a message saying that she wants to put you on the show so she can set up security for all of her Star Trek paraphernalia. I do. <laughs> and maybe, Paul, if you just want to come over to my house and set it up for me, that would be great. I can do that for you if you want me to. <laughs> okay. So, Paul, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and why you decided to do this wacky thing. Yeah, I um, I actually run a home care uh, industry for the for the elderly. I go in and help out with them, maintain their independence, and something I do here, and I really enjoy it in the area. It kind of stemmed from my grandparents, and so that's what I do. But this stemmed from something completely different. And so if you want me to start in on the workflow, I'll, I'll kind of go with it. Yeah, yeah let's do it. About it. All right, so basically I started this because, uh, first of all, my wife is expecting soon, and I wanted to be able to have something set up for that. Congratulations. Uh, the, uh, I appreciate it. The other thing was is that in the neighborhood that we live in, uh, you know, things tend to disappear off the front porch every once in a while. And oh, so no. I yeah, wanted that to happened to me. Someone sniped a package off my front door on you know, Christmas Eve. You know, Katie, I remember that on that episode you talked about that. And while I was setting this up, I thought about that because the camera that is outside can see my mailbox and also can see the front door. So if those jackals try to steal something, I've got them recorded. There you go. All right. All right. So what, what I do here is I have a um, a system set up at the house. It's a Vivint alarm system. It's just a simple system, 3G unit, that if uh, someone comes in the home, 
there's a motion detector, or if they're loud enough, it'll it'll go off and it'll um it'll uh, you know basically send a notification to the company and they let me know. But what's unique about this system is if you have uh, a Mac in the house, which I do, which is a Mac Mini, it runs in the house and they send you an email. Well, because of the past shows you all have, I started setting up some rules in the mail program. And what I've done is this: I have set up mail rules. And I also have started uh, using the security software. Uh, it's a just a basically security spy. It sits on my Mac Mini and it opens up to all the webcams in the house. And there's several things that this accomplishes. One, it allows me to be able to know exactly if someone comes into the home. The system sends a notification to the Mac Mini, and then it, the mail rule hits, and then the actual security spy software opens up in my webcams in my house. All come on. So I've got four of them. Uh, they're specifically located in uh, in the area just for specific goals that I have. But so that's basically, kinda... you want to be able to just spot somebody, spot somebody at the front door, spot somebody as they come in, stuff like that. I, I mean, kind of that... high traffic areas. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, I just want to make sure that I'm covered. Uh, we travel a pretty good bit, and I want to make sure that when we're gone, that it's taken care of. And it does. The high traffic areas that I know, if they were to come in my house. They would be in those areas. I know they would be. And so those are the places that I put them. And so there are a couple of things that I use. The Mac Mini, the webcams, preferably. I use four. You could use as many as you want. Um, you've got to have one password. Um, you know, enough said. Cameras in your house, you've got to have that. Um, security Spy. Um, and then I have Keyboard Maestro as well. I'm going to just kind of – I know that this is kind of a long outline that we have, but this is the main gist of it. If you're choosing something for your home – for the security part, you've got to have a piece of software that has a lot of rules and settings that you can adjust. And there, I tried probably seven different ones, and Security Spy is the only one that I'll go with. It has so many different settings for your home. You can set each individual camera for a specific goal. That's what I wanted. Yeah, so okay. can, can you set it up to be a specific – like for me – I wouldn't want these cameras rolling 24-7. Maybe I would only want them rolling when there was motion or maybe during certain hours of the day when I was more likely to be at work because I don't think I have this. My security system doesn't send me an email when I'm away or, or something yeah, like that. Can you configure all that within the software? You can. It's got a schedule overlay. You can have a schedule however you want it to turn it on. And so it can record whenever you want it to. And so that's why I liked it. Um, and you can have a schedule for each camera. Like the outside camera that I have, uh, it is on a different schedule than all the rest of the cameras in the house. Because during the night, um, you know, <laughs> I live in the south, and sometimes you have stuff that just kind of comes up. And, you know, it, it'll record that. I just don't want to record it all night long. Right. And so uh, it'll turn on when I need it to when I leave the house. But basically, this is what happens. I will leave the house, and on my iPhone, my security system that I have has an iPhone app. I hit armed. What it does is it arms a system in the house. Then it sends an email, and I have a filter, or, or I guess you would say a rule in there that says if this particular email is from the company, then um, you know contains armed, move to archive, mark it as read, and run an Apple script. Basically, the Apple script runs. Okay, um, I have a keyboard maestro. Uh, basically set up for the security spy, but I find it very, very 
difficult for the Apple script to run and just open the application security spy. So I set a keyboard maestro uh, key key combination, and I actually run the Apple script to to run the keyboard maestro command. Okay, well, that makes sense. So you fo- you're, you you're triggering you're triggering keyboard maestro from an Apple script based on an email rule. That's correct. Okay. And, and so then all the cameras come on, and they're and they're come on when I'm gone. So there's no motion in the house, and I have it set up to where if you walk up to the front door, and let's just take an instance, if the mailman comes up and puts something in my mailbox, or if I have someone from FedEx drop a package at the house, the front camera will locate it, and it will see it. It will turn it on. Now here comes the recording part. This is the interesting part because I had to go back and from y'all's past episodes and figure out how I can integrate all of what y'all have been doing into this so I can have ease. So what I've done is I've got uh, two hard drives, two terabyte hard drives. One of them has the specific location of where it starts to record. That folder that's on that hard drive is synced up by Hazel to Dropbox. Okay, so if yeah. it is in there, it will automatically it will by the settings in your security camera, it'll put in like I have the art room and then the other ones that are all the way down. If it records, it'll go into that specific folder. So I know where where it is. Then it's synced up to Hazel. So my wife and I can see it at any point in time if something were to happen. Yeah. Smart. So you're really so- only getting video from inside your house. If two conditions are met, number one, if your system is armed, and number two, if your um, system detects motion. That's correct, and I don't want my system running all the time. It's only when I am leaving and when I come home. So when I'm leaving, all the rules and everything runs, and it, it arms the house and everything's going. When I'm coming home, when I walk in the house, I can disarm it on the wall or disarm it from my phone. And then that way it sends another email, and then it shuts down the whole thing. But if someone does come up, and let's just say someone's trying to take someone off the front porch, it will notify me by email. It does take two pictures. It puts a timestamp on it, and it sends it to my phone by the VIP notification, uh, which also forwards directly to my wife's phone as well so she can see it if she's on her way home. Okay, And so um, that way I have a timestamp image and movie. And so, and, it, and then Dropbox is really great because you can take that and you can send it anywhere in one link. Right. And this is, I think, awesome not only for somebody swipe something off my package, but for like iPhone or iPad delivery day because I have possibly taken afternoons off of work when certain packages were due to be scheduled to be delivered to my house. Yeah, and the other yeah, that's a that's a good point. But the, I in, I live ten minutes away from my office, so if I got a notification, hey, UPS guy just dropped off something, or there was activity at your front door, then I would know. Oh, hey, I'm gonna run out for a minute. Yeah, and you could you could it would hit your VIP. You would open up your iPhone, and you would see the picture of him putting it in front of your front door. Then you can click on the link on Dropbox and double make sure it's hurt him right and watch the video. You know, the other cool thing that I like, though, about this is the fact that there's an app called Unet Cams, and this one has come in so (laughs) – I have used this so many times. But you can open this up, and it has a detailed view of every camera in your home, and the design of the application is very impressive. 
because it's specifically designed for this piece. And you set up all your IP cams and you rotate it on the landscape and you can see every camera, whether it's at your house or if you have it running in some, somewhere else. It doesn't have to be in your home. So, My sister would use this to watch the cats in her backyard. There you go. This is her cat. So hey, how hey, does somebody – I'm sorry. Go ahead, David. Well, I was going to say, now, how exactly do you trigger the poison neck darts, you know, the Indiana Jones style <laughs> yeah. neck darts? Well, here's what I – use that. Well, there's no That's neck darts, but I, I will say this. Keyboard Maestro is key to this because it has a mobile application. Now, let's just say that you know that, um, that your system is, is running, but you want to turn it off without having a disarm piece. That, that system is on your phone, so you just have to, have to hit the keyboard maestro piece, and it turns on the Mac Mini, turns the application on or off. So you can do it manually from your phone as well without having to disarm it and arm it. So other things can be used within this, which that's why I like it so much, is the fact that you can play around with this, suit it to your needs, and also you don't have to go and have someone install a, you know, thousands of dollars worth of equipment in your home when you can do it yourself. Yeah, you you know this is uh, something we missed on the Keyboard Maestro show that I meant to talk about. There is an iPhone app for Keyboard Maestro, and it does fire off Keyboard Maestro on your Mac if you want. So uh, that's something to check out, even if you're not using a security system. Uh, Keyboard Maestro phone app. Yeah, and it, it's just a simple, simple something I set up for for our family. I know I know we're running a little long, so last question, I guess. Let's say someone like me, they've got a Mac Mini or another Mac that's always on at their house, and they want to maybe not go quite as crazy as you have, but start to implement this type of system, and maybe it's something they can add to later. What what are the basics and the approximate cost just to get started? What would you well, recommend? Well, I would recommend, regardless if you have one or 14 cameras in your house, you need to get Security Spy. And you can get it on a per-cost basis, per per camera, and it adds up. And then it's like $800 to get as many cameras as you want, but I don't even go near that. Um, you, I think you can get a license for like $80 for one, and then it goes up like $20 for the next one. And so for you know two or $300, you can have all four cameras running. And then I found that Best Buy was best for these cameras because they're very small. These cameras are on sale for 50 bucks. You can't beat an IP cam on sale for $50. So I just bought all four of them. So you're looking at around, I don't know, Say five five hundred dollars for an in-home system that's on the internet. That's pretty cheap. What what cameras do you use? I have a U-Link. Uh, you no no D-Link. I'm sorry. Yeah, and we've got links to them in the show notes for all the people in the chat room who are asking. Yeah, and that specific link goes to the fifty dollar piece that I. That, there's another website that's selling them right now for fifty dollars. I if I were you, I'd buy up every one of those because it, they'll they'll be gone. A new one will come out. They're usually around a hundred and fifty bucks for an IP cam, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Well, this stuff is just getting easier. So um, it is. So like, but I will it, tell you, you know, everything I've used, I have been able to do it. The you, you guys have it on the podcast, so it's a good thing. Well, thanks. And and you know the other thing is, you're not paying any monthly fees with that system. It's just running. That's right. And you don't have to have the Vivint system. You know, you can have this set up without an alarm system in your house, and it would probably work just as good. I mean, you could just call the police if you find something that's you know missing or someone broke into your house. So, Paul, where can people find you? Um, I'm on Twitter at underscore Paul Burns, and um, I don't have a write-up for this. I, had, I travel a pretty good bit, so I don't have a lot of time to, to get on. But I do listen, and 
Um, if you want to, um, if you want to email me, you can. I'm sure you'll have that in uh, the the notes. I'll be able to answer any questions that you that you need. All right. Thanks, Paul. We appreciate hey, it. Hey, yeah. No problem. Thanks, guys. I think I may get a couple of these cams and and try this out. Makes me a little bit yeah. nervous, but I'm I'm. I think my wife it. would go crazy if I did that. She would literally go crazy, or put me into home. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. She well, there's something about you don't like the idea of people watching all the time. But yeah, yeah. I, I like the idea of a front door cam for sure. I may, I may do. But that. I mean, a couple of years ago, what he described would have cost thousands, and the, the fact that he could pull it off for four or five hundred bucks is pretty impressive. Yeah. All right, so we've got Jared on the line. Um, so let's say hello to Jared. Hey, can you hear me? We got you. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. How's it going? We're good, good. Excellent. So, Jared, you wrote in with something that I had never heard of. Um, and it's you basically talked about how you use an app on your iPad to kind of keep the plates spinning with OmniFocus and, and other apps. So tell us a little bit about the problem that you had and how you solved it. Sure. I'm an avid uh, OmniFocus user, so uh, love the show and definitely have gotten a lot of inspiration from you guys. And uh, I spend a lot of plates at work. I'm an accountant for a global public company in the mobile advertising and ad tech space. And so I have you know a team of around three to four people that I manage and get interrupted a lot. So OmniFocus is a great solution to kind of keep all my tasks and actions and, and waiting on lists going all the time. So with that, though, the, the beauty of OmniFocus is obviously in the perspectives. Um, and we all know, you know how to use those perspectives. But one of the things that you know, can slow us down is switching between those perspectives and, and things like that. So you know, the, the fine folks at Omni Group, as, as David usually says, um, you know, has installed the keyboard shortcuts to be able to flip between you know, those perspectives. Um, but unfortunately, one of the, the problems that I have is I can only remember around two to three keyboard shortcuts, you know, at any time. So um, there's this solution that came out called Actions for iPad, and um, I'll go ahead and talk a little bit about that. Um, and what this what this app does is it actually interfaces with your with your Mac, and it does many different things. But one of the problems that I had was flipping between these perspectives using keyboard shortcuts. I could actually use my iPad to launch keyboard shortcuts, which would change my perspectives. And this is a huge game changer for me because instead of worrying about keyboard shortcuts, I'm really focused on the content of, you know, what am I waiting on or, you know, what's in my inbox so I can really just get, get to work. And I think that's the whole purpose of, of workflows. Oh, it's, it's a really clever app. I, after I got your email, I downloaded it and gave it a shot. And, and it does a lot more than just OmniFocus. I mean, you can make adjustments in the Finder or open Safari tabs or, you know, it's a lot of different things. And the way I've been using it is I bought one of those stumps. I call it the stump. I think I've talked about it on the show before. It's just a piece of rubber with a wedge in it that you can lay an iPad on. And having your iPad next to your screen, it gives you an alternative control surface for the Mac. Um, it's not as fast as keyboard shortcuts. You're right. But it does give you the ability to have more uh, perspectives than I think you would normally use with keyboard shortcuts. Exactly. And it's just kind of cool. you know. I mean, I guess... That's part of the attraction for me, at least, is it's a very nice interface. Um, and you push a button here and something else happens there and it makes you feel like you're living in the future. Exactly. If you don't have one of those stump uh, 
you know, iPad or, you know, iPhone holders, you need to go get them. I have uh, four of them. I think my wife's going to kill me because uh, I think I spent something like 80 bucks on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they gave me one one year when I was a speaker at Macworld. And since then, I've bought two more because I've got one at work and I've got one next to the bed. And they're really great little devices. Definitely. But yeah. So, so go check out uh, getactionsapp.com. How much is this app? I don't remember now. I think it was five bucks. Was it's uh, right? three ninety nine. Okay, well, it's even cheaper, yeah. So it's pretty cool, and it works. It creates a link to your Mac. I believe it was through the Wi-Fi um, that it did that. And is it, Am I right, or is it Bluetooth? Now I've forgotten. That is correct, yeah. It's through the, yeah. the Wi-Fi. So at work, it can get interesting, but I, I actually use a VPN at work to still be able to connect my Mac to uh, my work computer so I can still, you know, launch apps and, and do things, um, you know, with my OmniFocus. But I, I actually use it for many other things as well, if you want me to just kind of talk and gloss through some of those other ones. Yeah, yeah, let's hear a few of your other your uses. Perfect, yeah. So staying still within the OmniFocus uh, realm, I actually use uh, Dan Byler's OmniFocus scripts. Um, and so I actually launched those using some fast scripts, uh, using fast uh, scripts keyboard shortcuts, yes. which is super nice. That makes nice. sense. And then, uh, you know, I know uh, Merlin Mann, who was kind of mentioned before, he uh, is a huge fan of the iPad app for OmniFocus as well. And it's kind of nice to have, you know, to review on the iPad. But um, if we're really being real, a lot of times when I'm reviewing, I, I need to blow out the remainder of the project. So opening up the and adding next actions to my project isn't really good. So actually, I prefer reviewing with with actions for iPad as a whole because... I can actually use the the Macintosh to type in and keep using Enter to to keep adding my uh, you know projects to continue. Um, so I'm actually a lot faster in my my weekly review um, as compared to my uh, iPad. Getting out of OmniFocus, um, I use it in Mail app to uh, file uh, mails using short uh, keyboard shortcuts, um, and I do the same thing in Evernote as well. I my default inbox is just uh, you know a default notebook. And uh, once a week or once a month, um, using my uh, Fujitsu ScanSnap, uh, shameless plug, um, actually go through and file all of my, uh, you know, items in the inbox using uh, Actions for iPad. And then uh, a unique one that I use as well is uh, Text Expander. And so one of the items with um, Actions for iPads actually allows you to just actually have it insert text. So when I have like a program like NVALD open, when I'm doing like a daily log, I can run a text expander script to go ahead and build a boilerplate template for my daily log or a food journal or something of, of that aspect. Yeah, it's clever. So, and you can run the dashboard and the mission control. You can do a lot of stuff with this app. Exactly. Uh, and, and in the video, they'll, they'll go ahead and show you. You know, I think it's also created for uh, creative professionals that are using tools like Photoshop or iPhoto to change, you know, the keyboard shortcuts to change your, your tools in your palette, uh, things like this. And I, I mean, this is just the beginning. We're just at the tip of the iceberg as to all this thing, you know, all this app can do. So, I mean, I think everybody should get their hands on it and, uh, you know, play around. Yeah. Well, it's four bucks, so give it a shot. I, I, um, I like it. I, I used it a lot for the first week after I got your email, and now I haven't, have to admit I haven't used it as much. I need to go back and get back into it again. I think the hardest thing is, is actually taking the time to set up your iPad next to your Mac, which, again, is, you know, takes two minutes, but once you're going, you'll save that time. Yeah, and I work on a laptop so often. I mean, this is to me, it works best with the iMac when I'm sitting at the iMac. 
but it, there's no reason why it wouldn't work with the laptop. It's just, um, I don't know, I just think in keyboard shortcuts when I'm at a laptop, I think. Exactly. And I, I think the thing, too, is it's a really beautiful app, too. Um, so it also has, like, Windows management stuff. Like, I know, David, one of your favorite apps, Moom. Um, it, this also allows you to, to arrange your Finder windows and you, things like that. And it also allows you to, you know, it has some really cool gestures as well in it. So um, it allows you to switch. Um, each app has its own palette of, of actions that you can run off of it. And you know, what's kind of neat is you can do like a three-finger gesture to uh, reveal your set library, which you have a palette for each app, like I said, and you can actually flip between your apps using uh, actions, which is really cool. Um, it's kind of like having an art palette next to you. Yeah, yeah. And and you can get very fast at it with a little practice. It's, it's almost like playing the piano. You know, you just got to get it under your fingers and you'll be all right. Exactly. Well, Jared, where can people find you? Sure. Um, at my website, jaredjobe.com. And uh, I'm on Twitter at the same handle. What do you do at your website? Uh, I actually, it's just a splash page. Uh, I actually am pretty busy uh, with my family and uh, kind of everything going on with that. So I actually don't really blog too much, but I am on Twitter. Excellent. Okay. Well, well thanks for pointing us out to this app, Actions. And uh, everybody go check it out. And thanks for joining us for Show 150, Jared. Hey, cheers. Thank you, guys. Hey, let's take a minute and talk about our sponsor, Squarespace. And uh, Squarespace is a is a, is the website builder of choice for both me and Katie. I've got MaxBarkey.com on it. I've had them there for years, and it's just a fantastic way to host and build your website. They've got everything there you need. Um, it's self-contained. You know, one company controls both the um, the hosting of the website and the back-end building of it, so you know that you're always secure. You're dealing with one group. Um, I like the way you can drag and drop. I'm not a big HTML guy. I just have never had time to really do that. But I really am happy with the look of my website, and I've never used a professional designer. I've gone through and made adjustments myself. Um, they've got 24-7 support there. So um, if you ever have a problem, you just send them an email. And they also have live chat. And it's remarkable to me how quickly they get back to me with that email support. I'm using it all the time. It's design focused. It's got really beautiful designs. The templates are professionally designed, so you can use one of those or you can customize it and make your own. You can connect accounts to it very easily, like Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and Pinterest and Instagram. Whatever your thing is, you can plug it into your website. And it's a responsive design. So when I show my website to people on the iPad or the iPhone, it looks just as good. And I just really love it. You know, they have commerce now too, Katie. And I'm, I'm seriously looking at selling the field guides through my Squarespace commerce. I just haven't got all the yeah, pipes Yeah, I was wondering about that. I, yeah, I I'm, I'm going to do that. Yeah, and the... Um, and so, and another thing about Squarespace is that if you've been to their website lately, or if you haven't, go check it out because they've got all these great reference videos now. So if you need help with this stuff, or if you're just a little intimidated, go to the webpage and they'll show you how to do everything. And in fact, I'm learning stuff going through these videos myself. Um, so go ahead and sign up for Squarespace. Uh, the The fee is is really reasonable. If you get a unlimited account, you know, unlimited bandwidth and all those great things, it's 16 bucks a year if you buy it in um in a, in bulk in a year's block. I think it's was it $20 a month if you buy it by the month. So you just want to get a year's worth. Um and if you get a free you, domain name. Yes, you get a free domain name. We just set up my my 16-year-old is now 
um, an entrepreneur, and she has her own web page, her own domain, and we've set all that up through Squarespace. And when you go in to do the checkout, go MPU8 in the discount code. And it's, it's just a little word there when the checkout's kind of hard to see, so make sure you look for it. But if you do that, you get an additional 10% off. So now you're 30% off the price, and uh, and we get credit for it, which makes us look like we're you know superstars, and we always appreciate that. But the, you know the bottom line is you're going to get yourself a really good website, and uh, I'm very happy with it. I was looking in the Sparks household now. We have four different Squarespace accounts and websites built. We're I guess what you would call power Squarespace users now. Yeah, I just turned some people on the website. Uh, on Squarespace, they were funny. It was a small organization, and they said, "Yeah, we've allotted nine thousand dollars of our budget to create a website." And I said, "Well, what do you need?" And they said, "Well, we need something where we can, you know, maybe have people buy some T-shirts and buy memberships, and then we want to keep them up to date on stuff, and we want to have photo galleries and maybe videos. Maybe we want to put up some videos of our meetings." And I said, "I will take your nine thousand dollars and put up a website for you." And then I yeah, said, did you? <laughs> no, I can't do that. Here, go to school. Well, did you at least get a good meal out of it? Did they buy a meal after? <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope so. So. Yeah. Well, thanks, Squarespace, for your continued support of Mac Power users. And I agree with David. Definitely check out their, their new splash page on their website. They've, they've got a lot of cool stuff going on there. So. All right. Well, our next guest is Tony. And uh, he's got a very special place in the workflow for me because uh, he's a teacher, a lot like my brother. So I wanted to see kind of what he was doing and, and how this worked for him. So let me see if I can get him in here. So, Tony, have we got you? Yes, you do. Uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So I gave you a little bit of an intro, but I didn't do you justice. So why don't you tell people a little about who you are and what you do? Well, I'm a high school history teacher in New York City at Stuyvesant High School. And in addition to my five classes of world history, I also assist my, uh, my colleagues in how to integrate elements of technology in their classroom instruction. Uh, so you're the tech guy at your school, is what you're saying? Yeah, I, I am. And, uh, and often uh, during periods when I'm not in class... Uh, my colleagues find a way to track me down, and uh, every minute there's a new emergency somewhere. Yeah, that happens. Yeah, there's a whole circle of people around me that are like that, Tony. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I get okay. those calls all the time. Yeah, I know. I've heard you reference that uh, several times on the on the show. Yeah. Um, so, so, Tony, one of the things you were telling us about in kind of your pitch email is that you've got quite a commute to work and I know one of my brother's biggest gripes is just the amount of grading that he has to do you know school will end at three o'clock but but he may be there until six or seven grading papers and doing all that and then if you've got to commute on top of that I mean you're not getting home until eight nine ten o'clock so you were trying to kind of figure out a way to make this time more productive and go more paperless. So how did you do that? Well, yes, uh, you know, in this this last reference to paperless, I have to uh, I have to thank both of you. Uh, I'm a recent uh, convert to uh, Apple and Macs, uh, so when I was looking for uh, sources of information concerning those devices, I came across your podcast. So. I went ahead and listened to every single podcast uh, that you guys had, 
and uh, and then I, I was able to pick up uh, tips here and there. And the problem is, as you mentioned, I have 170 students, and any time I give an assignment, they produce a tremendous volume of work. And since we're required to give projects every uh, semester, uh, the projects in and of themselves are are uh, multi-page endeavors. So when you multiply that by 170, you end up with a, a tremendous amount of paper. Then when, when I decided to, uh, to move upstate from New York City, uh, I added on a commute that is two hours and 15 minutes each way. So that took this issue of paper and, uh, and added another element, and that is actually carrying the paper with me. Yeah. So as I get older, I, uh, I lose the ability to carry that much paper. So uh, I had to come up with a way to reduce the amount of paper and also make the commute uh, productive. So, uh, so, so what did you do? Well, I, I took bits and pieces of the things that I picked up in, your, in the various uh, Mac Power User shows, and I kind of tested them each individually before I put them all together in some grand workflow. Yeah, these things evolve, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And since I wasn't a, uh, a seasoned Mac user, I, I, I took things uh, on a deliberate pace. So uh, the, the workflow works, you know, it is gen generally like this. I make sure that the students who I get uh, at the very beginning of the term, and these are brand new students to my school, so they're they're also getting used to the school as they are getting used to me. Uh, I made sure that they all got a Dropbox account and that they would share a folder labeled with my course title, uh, share that folder with me. And that folder would be the folder uh, where I and them would interact and exchange uh, paperwork. Now, I've exchanged paper with files, so now I've got a lot of files to deal with. Uh, so that's where Hazel comes in. And uh, Hazel is one of those uh, applications, among many, that uh, I, I got tips on from your show and end up purchasing. So, so my budget for uh, applications has, has gone up as I listen to more Mac Power users' shows. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, we get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so I try to uh, I try to squeeze out as much as I can from every app that I that I purchase. So Hazel has really helped me in dealing with these these files and making sure that they end up in the folder that I need to, so that I can then on the commute have them there already waiting for me to start uh, to start working on. And then that's when I turn to uh, Notability. Uh, notability. Yeah, so, so your students are turning things in PDF? Yes, PDF. Okay. And, and even though nowadays teenagers are very tech savvy, sometimes their skills aren't exactly in the realm of productivity. So I, I, would, I would have to show them at the very beginning of the term how they can make a document to, to a PDF and, uh, and how to drop it into, into their uh, Dropbox folder. Uh, but Notability is a, is a great application because it allows me to open up these PDFs, mark them up, even embed some audio comments, and then put them back in a folder that Hazel will then put in their folder. Uh, so I save a great deal of, of um, moving files around time to do that by, by using Hazel. Uh, 
But the, the another app that I use, it's more like a web app, is a rubrics generating app. And this, it's uh, forallrubrics.com. It's, it's a, a, a website that allows people, uh, teachers to create a, a rubric to evaluate assignments. And then once the assignment has been evaluated and certain boxes with comments noted, they can be sent to the student so that the student knows uh, on a granular level what the evaluation of that assignment was that I actually marked up. So in addition to the assignment with my little markings and everything on it, they get this printed out evaluation form that they can then use on the next assignment as a way to avoid some of the pitfalls that they encountered. You know, what a great idea that you can leave audio comments on a paper as a teacher. Because when I grew up, you know, there'd be a margin that would say vague or, you know, whatever, passive voice. But to have a teacher just to explain to me what the real issue was would have been really useful. The uh, I found I found myself, you know, when you're marking up a paper, you you can't really be too deliberate in the comments you give to the kids because you just don't have the space. And you've heard those horror stories when a student would get a paper back from a teacher and it's dripping with red ink. You know, that, that'll turn a, a student off and they won't even bother reading the comments. Yeah. Uh, so when I mark up these, these documents in Notability, uh, I may use comments like, you know, vague or sentence structure issue or something like that. But in the audio comment, they act as cues for me. So as I'm leaving an audio comment... I'm running through their paper, I'm looking at these comments that I made, and they act as cues, and then I kind of elaborate a little bit on the comments uh, that I leave as a recording. Just out of curiosity, public school or private school? No, this is public school. This is uh, Stuyvesant High School. It's a public school. And I guess that, that leads me to the question is, how much pushback do you get from... Students, parents, administrators, whatever, because I know in, in our public school system, this would be great for maybe two-thirds of the kids, but there's a, there's a good portion of the kids who you can barely get to bring a notebook to class. I mean, much less set up a Dropbox account and convert something to the PDF, either because they just don't have the resources or they don't have access to a computer at home or, or what. Well... During my first nine years of uh, teaching, I was in, you know, quote unquote, that uh, stereotypical type of inner city school in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, and then, uh, beginning in my tenth year to the present, I'm, you know, I'm currently in my twenty seventh year. Uh, I've been uh, in a school where the students are very motivated. They already are are coming in, and they're they're high achieving students. Uh, so this is this is my current group. Is uh, is a group that's very receptive to to this kind of uh, of technique, and I found at least over the last five six years that when I take a survey at the beginning of the school year uh, to try to determine how many students have access to the internet or computers, I get nearly a hundred percent responses. You know, in the positive. Uh, yeah, and then for those that you don't, I would imagine they can turn it in on paper and, you know, the traditional method. Absolutely. And, and, and of course, we make available within the school computers and printers that they could also uh, t- 
tap into to use if they wish to go ahead and, and produce it digitally but may not have that access at home they can still use the school resources and we ran into a problems uh, that that did require some students to do that when we had this storm that occurred in October uh, where many of our students were were forced to leave their homes and and relocate and those students uh, took advantage of some of the resources we had in the school you know, do you ever have a problem with Dropbox? I mean, with this many folders, I mean, do people say that it got, you know, instead of my dog ate it, they'll say Dropbox ate it or something like that. Oh, well, you mean, you mean the students using some, some kind of, you know, uh, short, uh, shorthand lingo or something like that? Uh, no, well, I mean, just, when just I technical in- difficulties. It, I mean, sometimes Mac Power user episode that David sends me doesn't sync because it's such a big file you know oh mm-hmm. i put it in my dropbox but the file didn't sync i promise it's there well you know the one of the projects that i had the students do required them to uh, uh leave a uh, video file uh but i didn't have and some of those video files were in excess of 25 megabytes so i i didn't encounter a single glitch now of course i probably just jinxed myself but uh, uh, not a single glitch, and you know that I was very, very pleased. Well, cloud well, storage is, is the cool. future, and it's nice to see students using it. Oh yeah, they and and yeah, like I said, teenagers are, they're not afraid of this stuff. It's it's us older folks that uh, that have a fear, and sometimes we'll call a te- you know a teenager over to try to guide us through some of the uh, some of these things that outwardly look uh, scary, but are but are really not. And for myself, when I switched from Windows to Mac, I was I was a bit scared. Uh, but I, I have to, you know, I have to reiterate here. I'm a teacher, and I help my my colleagues as best I can. But really, I'm a teacher, and having podcasts like yours are really really useful because you actually go through problems and then try to solve them. And even if that problem isn't particularly relevant there are ways of modifying it i would have never thought of hazel and hazel has really helped me out here and i and i thank the both of you for that i'm gonna someday i'm gonna find paul kim the guy behind hazel because i've never met him in person but we've been corresponding for years and i'm gonna buy him a steak dinner because i i don't know how many times he has saved my bacon with that hazel application that's great because you know buy potatoes and say that's from me you know, okay, will do. From Tony. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, Tony, where can people find you? Well, uh, basically, it's the same places that my students find me. And it's, uh, it's uh, a website that I, that I run for my students. So for those of the uh, listeners who are history-oriented, it's uh, worldhistoryreview.org. That's one word, World History Review. And my colleagues who, uh, who I assist with uh, technology integration they use another site that I have called Tech for Classrooms, and the four is the numerical four, techforclassrooms.org. And I'm at uh, Twitter, at Tech for Classrooms, and at World Hist Review. Yeah, I, I got so excited about question. history this week. Okay, you go first. Do your students get extra credit if they listen to this episode of Mac Power Users? Well, if they told me that they listened... To this episode or any episode, I would I would have to consider you know when I have to give them that grade on the report card and it can go you know one point or two one way or one there point or two the other ways you know it'll you lean gotta, towards the positive. You got to put it in perspective. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I just 
I just read this article this week about a watchmaker, Lincoln's watchmaker. Did you did you read this? It made the internet this week. No, and, I haven't. Um, so the, the day that the Civil War started, he was getting his watch repaired. So the watch repairman opens the back of the watch and writes a note in it about, thank God we have Lincoln to save us in this war and long live the United States. And then he put the cover, he scratched it in the back, and then he put the cover back on it and never said a word about it. And then in 1902, the guy gives an, an interview to like the New York Times and tells this story about what he did to Lincoln's watch. And just this week, the, I guess, great-grandson or somebody of this guy convinced the Smithsonian to go and open Lincoln's pocket watch. And sure enough, the message was in there. I thought that was just fascinating. Wow, that's, that, that is fascinating because so many myths. And, you know, you just happened to hit a sweet spot in my, uh, in my, uh, my love of history. Uh, I was just at Gettysburg a couple of weeks ago. Uh, many things about Lincoln eventually get mytho- you know, uh, mythologized. So some of those things are not actually based in reality. But when you get something like this, where you could actually go to the item, crack it open and see, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. go Google Lincoln's pocket watch. You'll find it. It, it was all over the Internet this week. Oh, I will. Well, thanks, Tony. Well, thank you. All right. We're going to get David in here in a few minutes, the other David. But before we do, I want to take a quick break and talk about our next sponsor for this episode. And that's another longtime one sponsor, Mac Power. No. Longtime sponsor of Mac Power users, 1Password. Yeah, I can talk today. Um, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about 1Password version 4 that's coming out. And kind of a PSA, I posted this on my blog as well, but we all know that 1Password version 4 for iOS has been out, I think, since like November, December. I mean, it's been more than six months now. Um, and 1Password did post on their website this week that if you are currently using 1Password version 3 for iOS, that that Dropbox sync is going to stop working on September 1st. And the reason for that is 1Password and Dropbox actually upped their game when it came to security and um, have increased the level of security in the sync API for Dropbox and 1Password version 4 and moving forward. But that is not going to be updated in version 3. And hopefully everybody has switched over to 1Password version 4 for iOS because it contains a lot of great new features, including being able to auto-generate passwords right on the device, including having the 1Password web browser, um, including being able to use these bookmarklets. I mean, I could just go on and on and on about all the cool features of 1Password version 4 for iOS that make it worth the upgrade alone. But if you've been holding out and you're still using version 3 for iOS you probably want to go ahead and do that upgrade before September 1st. And if I were you, I would think about going ahead and doing it this week because 1Password version 4 for iOS is currently on sale over 55% off to kind of help ease the transition for people who haven't yet upgraded. Yeah, and go get it because it really is an improvement. It's not a it's not a small upgrade. It's, it's very nice. Yeah. And... I've had a couple of people email me and and seen some complaints about, oh, you know, why isn't this a free upgrade or why aren't they going back and upgraded? And, you know, this really isn't part of the ad spot. But, you know, I want things like 1Password to be around for a really long time. And in order for that to happen, these developers um, 
you know, need to be compensated when they do these works. And 1Password 4 is a major update and well worth the price of admission. And at over 50% off, it's, um, it's a really good deal. So go check it out. You can find more information over at 1Password.com. And they've got a great blog, blog.agilebits.com, where they talk about this and all other kinds of security issues. And um, go tell them that we sent you. You know, it's funny, Katie, this afternoon, I told, I'm not sure if this will make it in the show or not. When we had downtime, I gave my bratwurst story because I'm cooking yes. bratwurst for 14 people today. Yep. My One of my sisters has is, is finally said, I want to learn 1Password. So that's the other thing I'm doing today is I'm teaching 1Password to my sister. And she will have secure passwords finally. My mom finally. said she finally wanted to use 1Password. And instead of teaching her, I got the 1Password people to come present at my mug next month. So I said she's just gonna go to my mug. Well, you're you're not a very good daughter. I have I'm tried. Sure. I have tried yeah. so many times. Yeah. Sometimes but it you is just definitely need a separate person to do it. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a little delay. We're getting a little delay on each other today, but it's definitely worth spending the time uh, showing somebody else how to use one password to share the love because this application I think is essential. So um, let's move on to David. I'm here. Oh, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. David, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I am a youth pastor in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I spend a lot of my time thinking about sermons and what I'm going to say during these church services. And um, yeah, hanging out with young people, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's funny, David. We have so many um, um, religious uh, leaders come uh, write us about our show. I mean, we have we have uh, Baptist ministers, priests, rabbis, Buddhist monks. Um, I, I think we've heard from just about every de- denom- major denomination uh, as listeners. I think maybe we're going to do a show one day uh, with just you know with just preachers. <laughs> yeah, you're you know? you're uh, least po- your uh, le- least popular uh, episode of all times, probably. Oh, I don't know, but uh, the name the name of the show will sound like a. A joke. It'll be like right. you know, a rabbi, a priest, and a monk walk into a bar with Max. Right. <laughs> but it's it it is funny. You know, a lot of people uh, that do what you do spend a lot of time with technology. Yeah, that's true. There's there's something about it for sure. Yeah. So what so what is your problem that you're dealing with? Yeah. So I um I use uh, DevonThink. Uh, I I think there's a lot of people, of course with show 100 that talked about DevonThink. And um, I use DevonThink kind of as a, a database of sermon notes and uh, ideas. So I'm always jotting little little notes and things like that, things that I think could work, little points, little stories, things like that. And um, one thing that I really like about DevonThink is that it finds connections in things that I didn't know about. So if I was working on, let's say, a, a sermon, my, my sermon for this next week is called Attitude, does yours stink? And so I'm, I'm uh, yes. talking about attitude. <laughs> yes, it does. Katie, the rage. <laughs> yes. uh, so I'm, I'm talking about that. And as, and as I'm starting to write down in just a text file, uh, one thing that's really cool about DevonThink is it can uh, work in finding connections with little stories and things like that that I've put in beforehand. Um, 
and, and just connections that I didn't think about before. So, for example, like with the uh, Attitude Sermon, I had clipped uh, a web article, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago on this guy, George Dawson, just as an illustration. Um, his guy was born into bo- poverty, and he ended up getting his GED uh, at like 102 years old. He decided it was time to do something with his life at 102, and so he uh, ended up co- co-writing an autobiography right as he right as he uh, died. And so it's just a cool story. And thanks to Devin Think, I was able to, as I typed it, Devin Think kind of popped up and said, uh, this is an interesting story that I think about. And so, of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. But it's a really cool system to kind of think of uh, and find connections that I didn't know about. Now, we've yeah, talked we're gonna about... we're going to do a Devin Think show. We need to. We've talked about it a little yeah. bit. But can you talk about how Devin Think works and I don't mean in the technical sense, but, you know, to create these connections and why you use a product like Devon Think over something like Evernote, which may just be pure storage and you've got to create the connections. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so when you're in Devon Think, it's just a huge mammoth of a program with all kinds of different features. It's real confusing at first. But uh, when you get in there, when you start, you start working on a file, there's a little button that uh, it says see also. And when you click on that button, it just opens a little drawer to the right. And what that will show is just things that for some reason or another, it thinks is relevant to the document that you're currently looking at. And it's not just it's not just like a text-based search or anything like that. Um, it's kind of sorted by relevance for one thing. And so uh, I don't know how it does it. And I think it's, it claims to get smarter as you use it more and more. But it's just all kinds of interesting things uh, that you see in that drawer that you wouldn't have otherwise thought of. So you, I could almost use uh, Ever, Evernote, to be honest. I, I think about Evernote a lot, and I really like Evernote. But uh, the problem is the search. You know, There's no search by relevance or anything like that. So if I type the word attitude, I'm going to get just hundreds and hundreds of documents that, that aren't really helpful You know, versus the Devon Think AI is kind of what I need. Now, you also are using Pinboard and If This Then That in this workflow. Right, right. Yeah. So there's lots of different ways. One thing that you can do, I'm not sure if you guys have talked about this when you did Devon Think uh, stuff in the past, but uh, Devon Think has two different options. One is an import where you can import files, whatever type, text files, RTFs, PDFs, all that. It can import it and then it just holds those files in its own database. But another way that you can do it is called uh, indexing. And the way indexing works is that there is uh, just a folder or a combination of folders that it kind of monitors uh, to add those things to its database. So, so the way that I use Pinboard, I'll tell you this, uh, I am always going through things like, uh, you know, with Reader or Mr. Reader or something like that. And if, if there's an article that I think is interesting, uh, what it will do is it will go and um, – it will. I'll, I'll pin it to Pinboard with a specific tag, and then using if this then that, uh, it goes and it looks for Pinboard bookmarks with a particular tag. In my case, it's two MD in Pinboard. I'm tagging those, and then uh, if this then that goes and it grabs a Markdown version of that website using Brett Terpstra's Marky the Markdown Fire. I don't know no, if you guys know about no. that. I'm sorry, but you know you've mentioned Terpstra, so now we have to drink. We have to drink. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so Brett made this thing that will grab a website and turn it into Markdown. I mean, I think he probably did it in between like commercials during the Super Bowl or something. Right. Yeah. But yeah, 
That's called Marky the Markdownifier. We'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. And one thing that I think is really cool is that there's a lot of people who really want to be able to use just text files because they, they have all these iOS text editors that they really like, but they can appreciate the idea of having everything in one central uh database like Evernote, you know, having your PDFs and your text files and all that in one area. And so you can kind of achieve that with DevonThink and using indexing because you can have all your text files in there. You can have all your PDFs and all that, but they're just indexed folders that are in your Dropbox. So you kind of have an Evernote uh, database type thing going on with DevonThink, but you can still use, you know, whatever iOS text editors you like. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a nice system. And then, what, yeah. so what do you do once you decide you're gonna you're gonna build on something? What where do you do your planning in? I usually use um, I, I mainly do it in Devon Think. I'll just open a new little text file and I start jotting uh, little ideas there. And then as the ideas kind of come up in Devon Think on the side, you know, oftentimes I'll start dragging those in and making little connections. Oh, with all kinds of different things. I'm also a really big tagger. Um, so I'm always tagging ideas. So if there's like a little idea that I think of or an article that I want to clip, I can, I can just tag it in DevonThink. And DevonThink uses open meta for tagging. And one thing that's kind of cool is I use... Uh, oh, sorry. I'm, as I say, I'm very curious about open meta right now because you know, I've always been a little worried about it because it's not really Apple-sanctioned. And now Apple seems to be developing its own tagging very similar to Open Meta with Mavericks. I suspect Devon will will pick that up, though. Yeah, in fact, I think they already have released uh, an update to where the Open Meta tags in Devon Think are compatible with the Mavericks tags. So it's, nice. I mean, it's it's almost exactly the same. Truthfully, I think there's a little something that's different in the extended attributes or something like that. But but it's real similar. Yeah. Well, it seems to solve a problem for Apple when they want to get us out of the Finder tags, do. But um. You know, I, tagging is a very complicated subject, I think. Right, it, It's right. hard for people to, to understand it. It's hard for people to consistently apply it. And it's a whole, it's another area of education. We'll probably have to do a show on tags at some point, Katie, because... We've done a show on tags. Have we? I, we've mm-hmm. talked about it, but I don't think we ever did a show on it, did we? I'll put a link in the show notes to the tagging yeah. show. Ah, the, see, ter- the Terpstra now. show. The Terpstra ah, you show. You said it again. You said <laughs> it again. <laughs> yeah. Well, and another thing I think that is kind of hard about tagging is that you can't really do it on iOS. And so that's kind of a place where it breaks down. Yeah. Well, it's way- like, that's weird. Apple is putting this, this tagging system in Mavericks, but it's not showing up in iOS 7, which is the place where you could really reap some benefit from tagging. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a, uh, a place where I think they will grow to eventually. But the way that I've gone around it, and you guys know Brett Terpstra, he does all kinds of crazy things. And one one of the things that he does with Simple Note and uh, MV Alt, which I know you guys use, it's yeah. my main repository for text, is that it has tagging built in and it syncs with Simple Note, uh, their tags, and then also open meta tags on uh, OS X. So that's, the, that's one way where you can use open meta tagging uh, yeah. on iOS with your text files, at least. Yeah. Well, so I even think though it's... you don't use the DevonThink iOS app, it sounds like the way you've got this all synced, you can do almost everything from iOS without actually connecting into your computer, right? That's, that's right. And that's, that's one of the reasons that I, I like it because whenever there's a new text editor or anything like that, you know, I need to check it out just like you guys. Right. I, I don't want to be locked into just one little oh, weird program. There's, there's one coming you guys are going to love. Uh, well, what's it called? I know Mac Drifter's been talking about it on Twitter. I'm not Edi- sure if I'm allowed to say that. Oh, name. No. <laughs> okay. Has he? Has he used I, the he's name? Not been, he's not used the name, I don't think. Okay. Oh, we, 
we got we got something really fun coming, gang. Yeah, there's some cool stuff, but it's by the uh, guy who did Pythonista. I'm just gonna say that. So yeah. just expect some really cool automation. Yeah. All right. Well, David, where can people find? Yeah, so you can find me. Uh, of course, I have a blog, davideifert.com. It's a hard thing to spell, but it's E I F F, like Frank, E R T.com. And I'm David underscore Eifert on Twitter. Excellent. Thanks for sharing this with us. And, uh, and thanks for listening and, and keeping up with us. Uh, you guys are my heroes. Thanks so much for everything. Oh, thank you. All right. Up next, we are going to talk Spotlight, and we've got longtime friend of the show, JF, is, is coming around, I hope. Skype says he's away. Hopefully he's there. Oh, yeah, he's there. JF is my spirit brother. <laughs> yeah, we've hung out with JF a bit. I'm actually, he hasn't been in a few there, so. but here he is. JF, you there? Yeah, I am. Hi, guys. How's it going? Good. Hi, Good JF. to speak with How you again. Hi, David. Really well. It's, I, I, I've been giddy all morning, you know, waiting to come on, and uh, I've been well, listening to the, the show all <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> well, okay, so JF and I are pals. I was walking down the street of San Francisco with JF one day, and I heard a taxi horn. And in my mind, I said, that sounds like So What? You know, the Miles Davis song. Uh, uh. And, you know, I just, I just made the observation in my head. And that's the kind of stuff that goes through my brain all the time, and I never share it with anybody because people think I'm crazy. And JF turns to me and says, that sounded like So What? And then I said, you are my friend for life. <laughs> for life. I know. It was, it was awesome. I remember that. That was like a bonding moment for me because I, I, I didn't think that thought would occur to anybody else on the planet. And it occurred to the guy standing next to me. And uh, JF but also wasn't was that the- shortly before he ditched you to go hang out with LeVar Burton? <laughs> well, of course. I mean, I mean Jordi LaForge. I, I ditched myself for Jordi LaForge. Um, and Did then – what was it? Uh, the other oh, and JF was the producer on on all those OmniFocus uh, screencasts I did. He was the guy that made them look good. Screenflow editing, Final Cut editing—that was a really, really awesome series. Yeah. I still go back to those and recommend those to a lot of people. Yeah, I, get, I still get a lot of email from people saying that you know they found Mac Power users because they didn't understand OmniFocus and they found those screencasts and then they decided to come listen to the show. So uh, we're very thankful to you for all that help oh thanks a lot yeah the back catalog of your show is amazing and i was just thinking while i was while i was listening that um when i first started to listen to you guys a lot of times i would do it on saturday mornings on my way to um being a soccer referee for kids and i would be driving to the fields and i would listen to your show and uh i was you know it's been a while and you guys are doing awesome so congratulations yeah. on show Over four years yeah. katie yeah. thinks it's been a, like a long time, she said. <laughs> long, long time. <laughs> anyway, so JF, what is the problem you're going to talk to us about today? Well, you know, I've heard all these amazing workflows. And um, as you've said many times, your listeners are so smart and they have some amazing workflows that they discussed today. Mine is actually kind of going back to the basics a little bit, uh, so to speak, and talk about the way I use um, good old Spotlight to find yeah. stuff on my Mac. I think, I think that's important. Launch bar, because... alpha, or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we have a lot of launches. Uh, I'm sorry, Katie, what were you going to say? No, I think it's so important to be able to use Spotlight effectively because now we've got all these files on our Macs and maybe we didn't do a very good job tagging them or organizing them. You know, our, we, we kind of talk about the hunter versus the gatherer mentality, but as long as you know how to go find something, you're going to be able to find it. And, and Spotlight's really your tool for doing that. I can't tell you how many times that's saved me because I've thought in the back of my head, 
I think I vaguely remember seeing an email on this, or I talked to somebody about this, or have I corresponded with this person before? And I pop open Spotlight and a couple of advanced searches, and I go from, you know, 40,000 results to one. I, that's absolutely true. And the fact that it's very dynamic and very fast makes it very easy. And even though, just like you guys, I mean, we share so many similar workflows. Uh, again, listening, I was nodding my head the whole show. Yes, I use OmniFocus to, uh, to keep my tasks all together. And I do use Hazel and uh, LaunchBar, NeoFinder, all those amazing apps. But there are times where just pulling up Spotlight is, uh, makes a lot of sense. And you, with a couple of tricks... So uh, now you, you put them you on separate... Response. You put them on separate keyboard combos then, right? Yeah. Yes, I do. Um, I, For example, I subscribe to Command Space for Launch Bar now, which is what I use. But I, I simply add in Control, and that opens the regular Spotlight window in the upper right. Although you can also pull it up within uh, Launch Bar. If you type uh, something like perhaps SPO or something like that, you'll get Spotlight right there in Launch Bar. But what I like about the Spotlight menu, the spotlight window icon, the upper right of the uh, menu bars, you can see the results right away. Whereas in launch bar, you have to hit return to see a result. And so that's, um, that's why I go up there sometimes. And I was thinking a lot about you, David, because you've been talking a lot about blue and green the last few days on Twitter. I'm and, obsessed um, with it. I know. It's, it's such an incredible, for, you know, I'm sure a lot of you listeners know this uh, amazing record uh, called Kind of Blue from Miles Davis. And that's what, where that song is. And I believe it's the song was written by Bill Evans. Um, so I was just toying with those um, tags, metadata types in Spotlight, and I, I popped in, you know, kind colon is something a lot of people know in Spotlight to sort of uh, narrow down your results to something specific, like for example, music or PDFs or JPEGs. So if you were to type, for example, kind colon music, then a space, and you could type in something like composer colon Miles Davis or Davis or Evans. And right away, Spotlight very quickly will show you a result in the window right there. And if you want to know a little bit more about the file, you can, from right from that menu, you can hit Command-I, and the information window will open right there on, on your desktop and show you more information. Yeah, I remember when Spotlight was new. I think it was Tiger. And there were a lot of indexing issues. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was a new technology, and they had a lot to learn. And the point is they've learned a lot over the last, many years of development and with every new version of the mac os it seems like spotlight gets a little more powerful and a little easier absolutely i agree one of my favorite features i believe that one came on uh, when lion came out which is the uh, the live preview of the icons or the file type that you have in your list and simply using arrow up and down you can go through your list and you see a preview of the document on your right or the calendar event or the email and if it happens to be a song, you can even go on t- on top of the icon and simply click on the play button right there, and you can listen to your song right there. The the thing I'd like to talk to you about specifically today, though, is mm-hmm. the the metadata because I think that's where people are not taking advantage of Spotlight, and uh, there's a little bit of a barrier there. So let's try and get people over that. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, so Spotlight can do much more than simple ter- uh, text string searches. You can you can be a little bit more. Uh, granular about what you do in there and uh, for example the metadata types are represented in spotlight by single words followed by a colon and then you can put a, a parameter after this or a little string to, sh- to tell you what basically to tell spotlight what are you looking for exactly and i gave an example earlier about uh, miles davis another one would be uh, another popular metadata type would be modified 
this is where you can specify or a date range for files or a specific date for a file you're looking for using commonly used symbols on the keyboard uh, less than greater than symbols plus and minus and you can actually type in those date ranges if you want to now this can quickly get pretty long if you do this manually and you don't have anything else and you're just basically typing everything by hand it could get a little long as soon as you add a few uh, of those metadata types so i know a lot of us are text expander users so i've definitely created a few snippets that spit out these kinds of uh, complex searches in spotlight and right away i see the result uh in the window so that's definitely a better step a better way to do it but there's even more what you can do as soon as you search in spotlight is once you have a result you'll see, and you can do this with any text string, you can type just a few random letters, and what you'll see at the very top of the spotlight window there, the drop-down menu, it'll say Show All in Finder. And when you click that, you get a a Finder window, which is really the spotlight search window. And this is where it gets interesting, because you now have the ability to add, using the plus sign there in the upper right of the window, you you have the ability to add a bunch of different metadata types Now, initially, Spotlight gives you a few handy ones, and you can see those by clicking on the the leftmost pull-down menu. I believe by default it says Kind. If you click there, you'll see a bunch of them, but then the real money is at the bottom of that pull-down menu where it says Other. And if you click there, your eyes will probably glaze over because you'll see a lot of different metadata types. Fortunately, there's a filter box uh, at the upper right, and you can kind of find out the type of information that you want to know about your file. Now, David and I, were both into listening to music, so you know a lot of the things that would make sense for us would be, for example, composer or artist. And when you filter that out in that uh, search window, you can actually add it to the, uh, the menu. So the next time you do a search, you can actually pull it up directly from that pull-down menu. Is that something you guys have played with quite a bit, the metadata yeah. types? Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. And, you know, one of the simplest spotlight searches that I use all the time is date colon today or Mm -hmm. date colon yesterday. Absolutely. If if you just want to see what have I been working on today, like, and if you go to spotlight right now as you're listening to this and hit date colon today, you're going to see a list of the folders that you've opened today, the emails that you've worked on, the files that you've opened. It's, It's just a really great way to get yourself back to something. It's so useful, indeed. And you can, of course, narrow down. Uh, typically, you won't see that much if it's just today, but you can also narrow down using kind colon. And if you want to know, hey, which app have I opened today or which ones are running or which ones have I opened, you can type kind colon app. Now, something else, I'm not sure if you guys have used this before, but another another thing that's useful, when you see the results, you might be typing an email and uh, you remember, oh, I need to attach this document. Well, you can go straight to Spotlight once the email, you know, you've started writing the email, you may not want to break off and go to the finder. So you can do a spotlight search, find a file that you want, and then simply clicking and holding on the uh, proxy icon in the search result. This is a live little guy. You can grab him or her and drop him into the body of the email. And there it is. There goes your attachment right there. Nice. So I find that very, very useful. Haley um, in the chat room is writing how she uses spotlight all the time. Just oh, yeah? math. Cool. She uses oh, arithmetic yeah, yeah. math. You know, so exactly. you just start. Type it in two plus two, and mm-hmm. you're good. To the power of, or or uh, find out what the tax is in your state, that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So there's yeah. a lot there, and in this world where we are so used to having these amazing productivity tools, I, I find it refreshing once in a while to uh, 
to go back to Spotlight and just live there for a minute and see uh, see what I can do. Just like it's nice to put directions in your mind when you leave to go somewhere rather than always rely on GPS and turn-by-turn directions. It's nice to say, hey, I'm going to David's. This is where I go. I turn left here. I turn right there, and I'm, I'm, I'm home. So it's kind of nice to shake it, shake it up a little bit, at least well, for it, me. It's, it's good to know that it's everywhere. I mean, you're going to have a spotlight at any Mac that you sit down on, in whether you're at your Mac or someone else's Mac or wherever. And you may not have some of these other tools there. So I use Spotlight sometimes just as a simple launcher. You know, that's why I've got mine set to command space for my launcher. But if I go and type command space on my father's iMac, it's going to act like an application launcher. And so just knowing how to use these built-in tools and being able to use them to their fullest means that you're going to be a Mac Power user without all these fancy tools that we talk about on the podcast. The, the interesting question is, what is the line between Spotlight and something like LaunchBar or, you know, Halfred or Quicksilver? And and I'm not really sure where it is. I know in my own mind, like the date-to-day search and, like, finding things a lot of times I find is easier with Spotlight than with uh, one of these launchers. Is that I just agree. me? No, I agree. I think where Spotlight is really, really good, really successful is is when to find something. Now, when you do find the item, obviously Alfred, Launch Bar, and so on will give you a little bit extra mileage because then you can do something with that item. But as far as Spotlight to find things, you it's it's great. You know, it's really, really fast, and um, that's what it's best at. And then a few a few extra things as well, but. I think is search is its main uh, main thing. As a matter of fact, I, I think I provided you guys with a uh, a well written article that's uh, that was um, taken out of uh, David Pogue's um, missing manual for an older version of OS X, where he kind of breaks down all the metadata types, and uh, so that's really interesting. I would encourage everyone to to take a closer look at that because you can you can really save a lot of time if you, yeah, if so you learn a couple of key ones there. Yeah, we're going to put that in the notes. Yeah, cool, definitely. Awesome. Right. And, um, you know, when I first started using Quicksilver, I don't know, was it seven or eight years ago? <laughs> it, was, it was a long time ago. Uh, I, I initially put control space for my command uh, to activate Quicksilver. So I've always kept command space for Spotlight. So I've, I've got them both and I use them all the time. Jeff, thanks for coming in and talking about this. So, oh. so where can people find you? Well, you're so welcome. It was a, really an honor to be on the show. Thank you. Uh, most of what I do is, uh, on Twitter is uh, the, the handle is at ProfMac. That's P-R-O-F-M-A-C, a little nickname that I got many years ago. I'm like you guys. I'm that guy who does the uh, troubleshooting for people and help them out. So at ProfMac on Twitter is where you'll you'll find me. And uh, again, it's, it's congratulations. Amazing. Amazing Thank feat, you. you guys. Thank you for sticking Thanks. with us. And uh, JF's one of the nicest guys in the world. I think so. he's the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> I don't know. Barry, you know, that's kind of Barry's There's title, Barry. too. Yeah, you got to be careful. All right. You guys are great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jaya. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, so the chat room has informed me that there is a website for the secret app that I couldn't tell you about. So I think I can talk about it. It's called Editorial, and it is amazing. I'm on the beta, and uh, just... The internet is going to explode the day it comes out, and everybody's going to write about it and talk about it. You know how it, it happens that way. But this one is definitely worth the hype that you're about to hear about it. So so keep keep your eyes posted for an iPad writing app called Editorial. And I think we may even do something on this show about it. It's it's just so fun I'm having with it. Um, we've got the chat room. Uh, a few people have asked while we were doing the show, are we going to take any questions at the end? 
Uh, we're pretty far into it, but I, I'll take a question or two if you want. I mean, it's 150 shows. Except I just said that. Now we have to wait like 30 seconds for, for it to, to actually. Figure out and <laughs> well, maybe yeah. we can take their questions and maybe we can add it as an after dark or add it as another show. Who knows? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, why don't we go ahead and close out this episode since we've been going for about an hour and 45 minutes. So I do want to take a brief moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. <laughs> so thanks to our sponsors for this episode, 1Password, Squarespace, and Fujitsu. But what I wanted to say really is thanks to all of our long-term sp- and short-term sponsors for Mac Power users because we really couldn't have done this show without you. And that includes our friends at Smile, our friends at uh, Omni Group, Pixelmator, Connected Data, Daisy. Disc. Uh, I could just go on and on. Gazelle, Hovers, uh, these folks who have been longtime sponsors of our show, uh, and and we really appreciate uh, their continuing support because you know that's what what helps David and I continue to do this for maybe another hundred and fifty more. We'll see. What do you mean, maybe? I I'm going to be doing this show as long as. There's blood coursing through my body. I have so much fun doing this show, Katie, and I have so much fun doing it with you. So thank you. Uh, we're we're not going anywhere. Another 150 more. Yeah. And uh, I guess we should say thanks to Dan and Hattie and everyone at Five by Five for giving Mac Power users space over here, um, giving us a a bigger audience over here, and and really allowing our show to, you know, kind of maintain our independence, but but also grow and thrive. So so thanks to all the folks at Five by Five. Yes, and we'll see you all next time. We've got a good show planned for next week, and uh, in another 50 shows, we're going to do another one of these uh, these listener workflows, and I'm sure we'll have eight more amazing listeners then. Yeah, thanks, everybody.